Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland, it's the Cleveland Guardians 4, the Detroit Tigers nothing. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And man, it was a fun game last night for Guardians fans. Probably not so much fun if you're watching it up in Detroit. I mean, you had to know going into the game, Tristan McKenzie was going to dominate, dominate your lineup because he always dominates the Detroit Tigers. The first start of his career was against the Detroit Tigers. Uh, it's just, I don't know. He locks in against this team. Tristan McKenzie goes eight innings pitched, five hits, no earned runs, no walks, 12 strikeouts. He's hard hit three times on 109 pitches. And uh, MVP on the day has to go to Tristan McKenzie's mom, right? For showing up and surprising Tristan at the ballpark. He spotted her when he was in the middle of his pregame warm-up pitches. And uh, it just was a good, good vibes, good mojo for the team having mom with the surprise visit in the stands. Uh, okay, maybe not MVP for the day, but you know what I'm saying. That's pretty cool that she showed up, was able to get him with that surprise, and it clearly, uh, clearly was good luck for him. So let's get into this game. Let's get into the details, because yeah, this was a this was a fun Thursday night, fun way to kick off a series. And yeah, Tristan McKenzie absolutely owns the Detroit Tigers. Going over to his baseball reference page, uh, his best, he's 3-1 now against the Tigers in six starts. His best ERA against anybody he's faced, all right, it's the Pittsburgh Pirates, but it was two innings of shutout baseball, so we're going to throw that one out as an outlier. His best ERA against anybody is the Detroit Tigers. He now has a career 0.93 ERA in six starts against the Detroit Tigers. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, his whip, his second best whip, again, we're throwing out the tig- the Pirates, is against the Detroit Tigers. 0.698 walks, hits per innings pitched. His strikeouts per nine, it's his fourth best. Again, throwing out the Pirates. Uh, then the Cincinnati Reds, then the Chicago White Sox. He's at 11.4 strikeouts per nine against the Detroit Tigers. However, it is the most strikeouts against any single team. 49 strikeouts, and then his strikeout-to-walk ratio, uh, actually the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, He's thrown 14 strikeouts to one walk and two starts against the LA Angels, but then it's the Detroit Tigers at 6.13 strikeouts per walk ratio. So really, really, just the best numbers of his career come against the Detroit Tigers. All right, so how did he do it in this one? Well, it was that curveball. It was absolutely filthy. Just absolutely. He was popping up on Pitching Ninja on Twitter, just left and right. Unbelievable stuff. 17 swings on his curveball, 10 whiffs for a 59% whiff rate. Add in two called strikes, it's a 50% CSW total on that pitch. The fastball and the slider, he was pitching a little bit more to contact. Uh, he did get 11 called strikes on his four-seam fastball, so it's a good setup pitch for that curveball eventually. They did put 11 of those fastballs in play, um, but again, averaging 87 mile per hour exit velocity, so averaging weak contact. The one curveball they managed to put in play was at 72.8 miles per hour, so he averaged an exit velocity of 87.4 miles per hour on the day. Like we said, inducing weak contact, he's only our hurt hit 
a few times on the day. So it's really good stuff. It's a 33% CSW called strikes plus whiffs percentage, 33% total on the day, which is solid stuff. But man, the strikeout numbers were up there. And the curveball created a lot of them. A lot of them. If we uh, let me go back over to the pitch types here. I'm looking back over at the illustrator and just looking at the strikeouts, and it is a ton of curveballs below. I mean, below the knees. He didn't throw. He didn't throw one. In fact, if we get rid of the strikeouts and we just look at total pitches, uh, he did not throw one curveball above the belt. He didn't spot one. You know, up at the letters, get one on the edge or something like that. We've seen that before. No, he was on top of that pitch all night, just burying it, burying it. In fact, there's one at the thighs, one that was outside to Victor Reyes. There was one at the thighs. Everything else is at the knees or below. I mean, he was really on top of that curveball all night. And then just peppering the fastball in the, and the slider in the strike zone and letting that curveball fall out the bottom of the zone. Now, he did get... Uh, a swinging strike on a four-seam fastball. He just blew away Jonathan Scope, kind of down the middle of the plate. He uh, blew away Harold Castro on a four-seam fastball, kind of right down the middle of the plate in the to end the first inning. He got Victor Reyes chasing a slider, and then everything else is the curveball. The one called strike, the one backwards K, would be Candelario. He froze him with a curveball in the seventh inning on an 0-2 count. Uh, then everything else is down, and four of these belong to Riley Green. Four curveballs down below the knees, down buried in the strike zone, belong to Riley Green. He also got Eric Haas down here and uh, Candelario down here. Did he get Haas twice? He did. So, yeah. So, strikeouts for Tristan McKenzie. Just, it was great stuff with that curveball. And it's no surprise because that curveball is a fantastic pitch for him. Uh, They're hitting, this is crazy. If we look at all of pitchers across Major League Baseball, minimum 50 plate appearances here. We have to set some constraints on it. Throwing the curveball, he has by far the best batting average against his curveball. They're hitting 105 against his curveball. The next closest is Scott Barlow at 107 and Corbin Burns at 113. They're slugging. Uh, third best slugging percentage against the curveball. James Talion's curveball is getting hit at 188. Alex Lang in Detroit is 193. And then McKenzie at 197. Uh, the whiff percentage against his curveball. Uh, that'd be fourth best in baseball. Alex Lang's is at 59.8. McKenzie comes in at 45.4 whiff percentage against his curveball. Like I said, fourth best. Uh, the K percentage though is number one, 53.8 K percentage strikeout percentage off of his curveball. Corbin Burns would be second at 50% on the dot. So yeah, I mean, it really is. It's amazing. Why not? Let's look at one more column. The put away percentage. Alex Lang is number one at this. He puts batters away at 39.7% of the time with the curveball. McKenzie is second at 33.6. So it really does rank up there with some of the best curveballs in Major League Baseball right now. And he's on this ridiculous run of shutout innings. I think you have to go back to like Corey Kluber, who's had this many. I think I think in the postgame show they said 21 consecutive shutout innings now. Um, I think, yeah, you have to go back to like Corey Kluber to find the last Cleveland pitcher to do that. So 
Mackenzie, it's ab- that's a start, man. That is how you get it done. Uh, I know it helps facing the Detroit Tigers because that is Tristan McKenzie's sweet spot. I know it helps to have your mom surprise you in the stands. That is fun. And, you know, Tristan got interviewed in the pregame show that asked him about Ahmed Rosario and just the impact Rosario's had. Because Rosario is, like, second in baseball and hits in the last month. And so they, they interviewed him in the pregame show. Uh, he got the interview with Andre Knott in the postgame show. And Tristan just seems like a really fun guy. Just seems like he has a big impact in that clubhouse. Uh, brings a lot of energy uh, and youth, you know, to that clubhouse. They all kind of bring youth at this point. Uh, he talked about Andres Jimenez and how they believed in Andres Jimenez the whole time. They've seen it, and now he's kind of making his mark on the world by becoming an all-star for the first time. Uh, yeah, Tristan McKenzie just absolutely seems fantastic, and you wish nothing but for su- but success for this guy. I mean, he really might. We, we talked about Bieber in his last start, how he is the ace still, right? He's still the ace. Tristan McKenzie, when this next wave of pitchers comes up, right? When the Xavion Currys and the Gavin Williams and the Doug Nikhazy's come up here, it might be Tristan McKenzie who's the ace leading that staff, right? They're all going to go through bumps in the road and learning curves just like Tristan has. I remember last year, there was a point where Tristan couldn't throw strikes anymore. And he had to get work on some stuff. He's worked on his mentality, I think they said a little bit. How he's, he gets a little bit more serious when it comes to his turn in the rotation, right? Locks in mentally for those starts now. And uh, so, yeah, so when those other guys are struggling, it might be Tristan McKenzie who's leading them, who's helping them, who's teaching them, helping them grow. I'm sure the way Bieber, Savali, and Plesek have helped him grow. All right, so... Uh, Tristan McKenzie, absolutely MVP on the day. I mean, I'm not burying that lead. He was the whole McKenzie family uh, MVPs on the day for their performance last night. On the other side of things, Elvin Rodriguez did not have as much fun. He was hard hit 12 times on the day. He only lasts five and two thirds, gives up seven hits, only three home, only three earned runs. Uh, so not a terrible start for Elvin Rodriguez on a normal day that would kind of be keeping your team in the game. He does give up four walks, he gets four strikeouts, and he gives up the big solo home run to Josh Naylor to kick off the scoring. So it did not go well for Elvin Rodriguez on the other side. And you know what? While we're talking about pitching, hang on, I almost went to the offensive side of things. While we're talking about pitching, there's one more thing you got to hear about Tristan McKenzie and how good he was. And I thought this was fascinating. Do you know how many innings he started the inning by striking out the leadoff hitter? That is just so demoralizing to opponents' offense. First inning, boom, Riley Green strike out to start the game. All right, Miguel Cabrera does get him in the second inning with a single. All right, Torkelson pops out to start the third. But here we go. Fourth inning, Victor Reyes strike out to start the inning. Uh, fifth inning, Candelario, strikeout to start the fifth inning. Sixth inning, Riley Green again, strikeout to start the sixth inning. Uh, seventh inning, Candelario comes up again, strikeout to start the inning. And eighth inning, Akil Badu, strikeout to start the inning. That is absolutely incredible. In six of the eight innings he pitched, he starts the inning with a strikeout. I don't ever remember seeing that in a box score in a game summary before. Uh, I mean, how demoralizing is that to the offense? To Your leadoff guy could just never get on. 
and via strikeout too. It's not like you were like, all right, all right, he, he put one out there. He got a little unlucky bat bip, maybe. No, just striking him out, sending him right back to the bench. And then that second hitter's got to get up there and go, oh my God, what am I getting into? So I just thought that was really, really interesting and probably demoralizing for the Tigers' offense. All right, now, like we said, Rodriguez got hit around. Let's look at how the offense did it. Josh Naylor was not messing around in the second inning. He takes a low first-pitch fastball and absolutely cranks it, absolutely destroys it. First pitch of the second inning. You want to talk about the opposite of what the Tigers were doing, striking out the leadoff innings. Naylor here, first pitch, 104.1 miles per hour, 401 feet to center field to the seats in front of the bullpens there. That is a way to kick off an inning. And it was just a low fastball, just kind of right there at the thighs, middle of the plate, a little bit outside, and he just absolutely unloads on it. Uh, they were they were on base constantly against Rodriguez on this game, but the third inning is when they put the big rally together. Quan kicks things off with a double down into the right field corner. Ahmed Rosario singles and put, puts runners at the corner. And then Jose Ramirez comes up. And he delivers with a big RBI hit. He's back to getting those RBIs. 103.7 mile per hour shot through the infield. It brings in Stephen Kwan to score. After two outs, after Naylor and Reyes get out, you're thinking maybe the rally's done. But nope, Andres Jimenez comes up and he delivers in this situation. And let's go to this at back because this one was a changeup. He started up. Everything was up. A curveball misses up and away. A fastball at the top of the zone that he follows off. A curveball up and away. And then he tries to drop the changeup right in the middle of the plate, but at the knees, and he goes down and gets it. 106.5 mile per hour exit velocity. And he drives in Ahmed Rosario to score. Now, the Guardians, that puts him up to a nice 3-0 lead. They would threaten a lot in this game. They would put together some rallies, but they wouldn't be able to get that big RBI hit again until... Until Andre Jimenez comes up to lead off the top of the the bottom of the eighth inning. The first pitch was a slider down below the knees, and he actually tried to bunt it. And he said before, look, if I'm bunting, I think I have a chance to bunt for a base hit. I've been working on bunting for base hits. This is not some kind of sacrifice thing. I legitimately think I have an advantage dropping down a bunt and beating it out to first base. So he is bunting for a hit here. He misses the bunt. He says, okay, that didn't work. Let me regroup. Oh, another slider. Oh, again, middle down in that quadrant. He ends up turning on an 104.1 miles per hour, 414 feet to right center field to give the Guardians that insurance run. Now, the thing that's interesting is both of these are off-speed pitches. Both of these pitches are middle down. And looking at Andres Jimenez's uh, zones over here on Baseball Savant, that's not really a nitro zone for him. Uh, his uh, slugging percentage is not hot, that high. It's a uh, 455 middle down. It's better on the edges away and in the, obviously the middle of the plate. I mean, most of these guys are going to have their best slugging percentage, just middle, middle. Uh, 821 slugging middle, middle. Uh, but even the ISO, the isolated power, this is where you subtract your slugging percentage, and you subtract batting average. So you're really just looking at extra base hits. He's only a 136 ISO middle down, where on the corners middle, uh, or corners down, he's over 200. The middle middle, he's a 393 ISO. So, and even up and away, he's a 421 ISO. 
I'm guessing probably a lot of doubles. Let's see there. Yeah, he's got two doubles from that zone up and away. Uh, and two home runs from that zone up and away. So, uh, yeah, this is this first time getting one uh, middle down. So, that's interesting there. This game was not a typical zone uh, for Andre Jimenez to flash the power like that. But he gets one. He gets one on the board from that zone. He uh, gets two, really. Uh, two RBIs driven in from that zone. So that was your offense on the day. I mean, Ahmed Rosario has a great game. He goes three for five. The hits just keep rolling for Ahmed Rosario. He's up to a 290 batting average now. It's a 729 OPS uh, because, frankly, he doesn't slug that much. I mean, he gets a double in this one, but he's a, he's a singles hitter, but I, I kind of like it. I mean, it's working in the two-hole with Ahmed Rosario right now. I know he went through a little slump there. What was that? Was that four days in a row or something like that without a hit? Was it? Was it the Tiger series last time where he gets shut out the entire series without a hit? But he's bounced right back from that. And, uh, man, I honest to God, my only problem with Ahmed Rosario is I wish we could move him off shortstop. Offensively, I, I kind of don't want to see this guy go. He really has been very productive uh, since coming over from the Mets for Francisco Lindor. Uh, I want to figure out a way to keep his bat in the lineup. That's why we keep saying, can he play left field? Can he play second base or first base? Uh, speaking of first base, Josh Naylor, uh, what a difference. I mean, there was a throw by Ahmed Rosario where he just kind of short-armed it. I don't know what happened, but he one-hops it to Naylor, and Naylor makes a great scoop. Just an absolute fantastic scoop. No doubt about it that he was going to catch this ball. What a difference a first baseman that kind of knows the footwork and knows the glove work makes. Owen Miller, the experiment at first base has to end. I know you need someone on this team as a backup first baseman, but really, it's not working with Owen Miller. So uh, maybe it's uh, Nolan Jones who can back him up at first base. He hasn't played first base in a while. They've really been trying to make right field work for Nolan Jones, and it did in this game. Uh, He looked good going back on the ball. He made a nice running catch into the netting, into the wall. Uh, so, yeah, the defense is actually working for Nolan Jones. It looks, frankly, it looks a lot smoother than Oscar Gonzalez, and it looks smoother than Richie Palacios, too. Of all the minor league outfielders that have come up in the middle of the season, uh, his defense has definitely looked the best. Uh, Quan, remember, Quan was here to start the season. Uh, so, yeah, so it's a really fun day uh, offensively. Everybody kind of contributed in their own way. Uh, Reyes got shut out, but Andres Jimenez behind him picks him up. He's on base three times with a walk, a home run, and a double. Uh, so good stuff from Andres Jimenez. Nolan Jones doesn't get a hit on the day, but he does walk twice, including being intentionally walked. Uh, Hedges with two hits from that catcher position. That's fun stuff. Uh, Straw was on base twice with two walks. So, okay, keeping that on base percentage going. Uh, so everybody found a way to contribute on the day. Even if it wasn't turning into runs, we definitely kept the pressure on the Tigers all night. So it's a really fun win down at the corner of Carnegie in Ontario. And yeah, it's a short episode because there's, I mean, there's not much nuance to this game. McKenzie was just mowing them down with the 12 strikeouts. So we're going to do a little bit of a shorter episode. I'm going to wrap it up here. There is some uh, news across Major League Baseball that we haven't touched on yet. First off, the Orioles and the Seattle Mariners are on ridiculous win streaks. Uh, Seattle has just won their 11th in the row. 
they are uh, in second place in the West, but definitely back in the uh, wild card conversation. And Baltimore has won their 10th in a row. But they're still in last place in the AL East. That's how tough the AL East has been. Every single team in the AL East has an above 500 winning percentage. That is insanity. That I mean, that kind of stuff does not happen. There's always a team or two that has to take the egg every season and uh, be at the bottom of the standings. And it's, I mean, I guess Baltimore is still down there, but now they're a game over 500. They're on a 10-game win streak themselves. So that's been interesting to watch, and it's definitely going to make things more challenging for the Guardians if they think they're going to climb back into this wildcard race, having more teams in the mix. It's also going to make things more interesting at the trade deadline. What is, what is, uh, Seattle is definitely all in on winning. Is Baltimore all in on winning, right? Are they going to try to add at the trade deadline instead of being sellers? And then the other news is that the, um, Toronto Blue Jays, despite, again, having a winning, uh, you know, above 500 winning percentage, they're in fourth place in the, uh, AL East, but they're in the wild card right now. If, if the playoffs were to start today, they would have a one-game uh, playoff against Boston for the final wildcard spot. They go ahead, Toronto, and fire their manager. So who knows what's going on up there in Toronto? I mean, that is bizarre to see. It's the third manager, I think, that lost their job already on the season. So it's kind of bizarre to see a team in wild uh, wildcard contention in a playoff spot currently goes ahead and tosses their manager aside. So... Uh, that's a little bit of stuff that's been going on around Major League Baseball. Um, yeah, the Guardians are have a lot of competition. There's a lot of noise in that uh, wild card positioning. Uh, they do gain a gain game on Minnesota yesterday. The White Sox and Minnesota are going head to head, so we kind of have to root for the White Sox here just to close this gap and make this American League Central uh, a pretty competitive division at the top with these three teams. No matter what happens. We're going to go into the all-star break with a pretty competitive division amongst three teams. So that's what's kind of going on around Major League Baseball. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, a really fun game. It's your Guardians 4, your Detroit Tigers nothing. Coming up tomorrow, we got Friday night action. We've got Plesek on the mound against Hutchinson. I saw these comments on Twitter. Please can we get Plesek some run support. Please let this guy get some run support. He's been pitching really well. He has. But he's 2-7 and seven on the season because he just gets no run support. So we got to see what we can do offensively. Off of Hutchinson, who's 1-4 with a 4.08 ERA. He's a right-handed pitcher. So I expect Nolan Jones and Jimenez and all our lefties to be in the lineup. I know he likes to rotate and give guys in the night off from time to time. But hopefully... Hopefully, run this same lineup back out there. Run this lineup. This is your A lineup. This is your best lineup. So let's go. Let's keep racking up the wins. And let's give Plesak a little bit of run support. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts going into the All-Star break. Seriously, morning people, hit me up. Give me your midseason reports. What do you think of this team going into the All-Star break? How you're feeling? We'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you want to go old school, you want to call in like an old radio show, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings and leave a voicemail from the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>